0: Welcome to the Free Cities Podcast. My name is Timothy Allen, and this is the official podcast of the Free Cities Foundation. Hello, and welcome to episode number 38 of the Free Cities Podcast. Today I have a conversation for you with one of our esteemed ambassadors by the name of Rafael Lima. Now Rafael is, at heart I suppose, what I would call a libertarian influencer. In his home country of Brazil, his daily YouTube show Ideas Rajicais, has over 650,000 subscribers. By the way, that's Radical Ideas. Uh, for the non-Portuguese speaking amongst you. He's also the founder of both the Free Market Institute in Brazil and SETI.io, which is a company that, in their own words, helps our customers to live and do business without borders. My definition of which would be that they help people move around the globe to jurisdictions that treat them better. In this discussion, we touch upon all the aspects of Raphael's work in promoting ideas of libertarianism, anarcho-capitalism and free cities, from the importance of getting your ideas out there at a grassroots level by telling relatable stories to the common person, to having a very robust plan to bring ideas of liberty into the political mainstream in Brazil a country which I've heard recently from a number of people, currently houses the biggest libertarian movement in the world. You learn a new thing every day. Anyway, this is one for the digital nomads amongst you as well, since I get to dive into Raphael's list of top locations to relocate to in 2023. Now, if the kind of things that you hear on this podcast get you excited, then you'll love the meat space version of it that we hold each year in Prague. Liberty in Our Lifetime, as it's called, will be held on the 14th and 15th of October this year, and it's really your best chance to meet all the movers and shakers from the Free Cities movement all in one place. Join us to listen, share, and build the future together and I will most certainly see you there myself. In the meantime, of course, it just leaves for me to say to you, are you sitting comfortably? Good. Now relax and enjoy my conversation with Raphael Lima.
1: Career is careers tangent. Yeah. so <laughs> <laughs>
0: don't worry man well that's good because i'm not i i don't have any particular uh direction that i want to go in okay I just, but,
1: but you know what we do
0: yes okay. yeah Oh, yeah yeah i know and i love all that digital nomadism, second citizenship. Oh, okay so, yeah. so so
1: you know like uh, i have the the seti company which is like um Protecting Brazilians from the state, basically, and helping them to get out. And then I have my channel, which is a libertarian YouTube channel, just promote libertarianism. And on top of that, we have uh, mostly three initiatives. One is uh, we elect people. We set up campaigns to elect uh, representatives in all three levels. And um, it's actually a pretty large team. And we already got uh, around, I don't know the numbers by hand, but I think it's like 60 uh, city councilors elected at this point in Brazil, which is quite a lot. And we also have uh, another department which does. Basically, we consult for those elected officials. You know, people we worked in in ele- elections or not. Uh, just liberty-minded um, politicians, really, um, who want to implement liberty-minded policies in their cities or states. And we help them draft out legislation and implement those things and do audits and uh, legal reviews, all that type of stuff. And we have, it's not mine because it is an institute, like nobody owns an institute amongst people. I mean, legally in Brazil, nobody owns an institute, it's an association of people, um, which does lobbying in Brasilia for, uh, in the federal level, for free market policies. And it was that organization which passed... Uh, it was us who passed the, um, I don't know if you heard that, the, the expert zone legislation in Brazil, which is kind of halfway into a private city. So we drafted that and we passed that and that was fun. So,
0: okay. Well, let's, it's a lot let's, of stuff. Let's break them down then. Like <clears throat> so, yeah, three things I got. SETI, your YouTube channel and um, your kind of work with elections and, yeah. 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 Okay. Right. That's good. What I was going to before before we even go into those, what I wanted to talk about is it true that Brazil has a massive libertarian population? Not not with respect to the actual population, so not the percentage of the population, but sort of you know like as as far as the number of people in Brazil, the, who, the raw
1: who, number of yeah. libertarians. Yeah, yeah. It depends on how you define a libertarian, but probably. You know, by brute number, we're probably the largest movement in the world. And by the percentage of the population, I'm not sure. I think Georgia beats us. Right. I think Georgia can beat us. Like, I, I haven't gone there. I haven't talked to Georgians. But my impression is that, you know, per capita, they might be ahead of us. But on the raw number, yeah, yeah. So why is that? Like, what is it about Brazil
0: in particular? Is it your political history what you know what?
1: no it's you know um i had a i have this discussion a lot in in brazil and especially when i go overseas like foreigners ask that because it's funny it's fun when you guys go into brazil and we're having events with hundreds of people and you're like, dude, if we have a huge event, it has like 40 people. What the hell? <laughs> um, it's really funny to watch your faces when you go there. Like Titas went to the Forum Forum da Liberdade, which is a Liberty Forum in Brazil. It has 5,000 people. So he was like completely decombobulated. It was fun. Um, but uh, we've had the discussion a lot. And let me tell you first what it's not. So it's not... Um, the country had a huge economic crisis and people woke up and decided to hit the state. Because if that were the fact, uh, Venezuela would be like encapistan yes. at this point. So yeah. that doesn't explain it. Now you can say like it's the culture. And I think there is a thing in Latin culture where we are more extreme with, with our feelings. Uh, I used to uh, study psychology. I didn't graduate. But there was a thing that I thought, I thought, I thought was uh, really funny that um, self-reporting tests on like emotion or focus or whatever have to be corrected from Europe to Latin America. Because if I do a test and ask like, how do you often feel uh, anxiety regarding A, B, and C, and D? If I ask you to rank one to five, Europeans will tend to go two, three, or four. Latins will tend to go one or five. (laughs) So you have to correct the test because we are more extreme in our feelings, in our emotions, in um, in our thoughts, in our positions, so that may lead uh, Latins to be more friendly to more extreme ideologies, which not necessarily libertarian could be just more left wing or more right wing or just more. You know, yeah. it could be that you know the Latino energy maybe doesn't explain why it's libertarian, right? Um, what else? Uh, we had a really dumb president in, in Dilma <laughs> Rousseff. I mean, like, complete shoebox of an individual. Just, it was nonsensical to watch her talk. I mean, Joe Biden is senile. She wasn't. <laughs> and she was, like, on the same level. <laughs> oh, and, and you could say, like, well, maybe it was like that, that and people just started to disrespect the state. Yeah, but a lot of countries also have that, so it doesn't explain it. Um, I mean, I think the culture is a little bit... But the fact is, and um, that's really a spoiler on my lecture on the on instance for Liberty Europe tomorrow, it comes down really to leaders and to people who explain these ideas. And I know that this is kind of a dunk on other countries, kind of like, well, you're not j- doing your jobs, but... Yeah, kind of. It's that you know. Um, we had a lot of people in Brazil from different walks of life, explaining libertarianism, teaching libertarianism to people, teaching free market economics to people. Um, I come from. I'm not graduated. I'm a, I'm a really relaxed guy, you know, I'm very casual in my channel, you see I'm, I'm recording with like a t-shirt, you know, that's intentional, I don't want to be recording like with a suit and, you know, formal words, you know, I curse, I use lingo, I do a lot of stuff, and, and that connects to a certain type of people, and then you had like the Mrs. Institute, and they're all like wearing suits and being like super serious, and that talks to some uh, people and then you have like Livris, which is uh, the free, the the, the literal translation is the the free ones, I guess. Um, and they're not, they're not even like hardcore libertarian. They're you know white tent, free market because you know, liberal liberal in the original sense, like classical liberal, right? Um, and they're doing that with a more like popular approach. They want to get into the favelas. They want to get into simpler people. So we have so you have a lot of competition to that. And you have that very strongly over the last ten years. A lot of people talking about this ideas, um, and I think we just got the ball the ball rolling. I think we just got to people and started teaching to them. Like I don't know what Javier Millet has done in Argentina because I don't speak Spanish. Like had a halt to save my life, I couldn't, so I don't know what happened there. Uh, I would like to analyze that phenomenon as well. But my suspicion is that as well, like they had like, I don't know, like 20 or 30 people that were just really good at explaining the ideas and each one got to different places. And I think that another thing that helped us in Brazil is that the opposition is just so bad. Like the, 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 the there are two right wings in Brazil. There is like the conservative, you know, productive right wing. And there are, there are the guys who, they, they need a doctor, you know what do you call what the, the far right they're like, I was like it's not far the, right it's just it's crazy it's different the crazy right you know it's it's different and um why well, was talking about that um
0: the two um, types of party. The, the, the point
1: is that we contrast with them because like normal people look at us you know like the normal people in the street they look at their campaigns and they go like so they want a military interval what and then they look at the left-wing guys it's like so okay so in a country where 100 million people out of a population of 210 million people, 100 million people today don't have access to sanitation. And the extreme left wing then thinks that the, um, the, the thing that we should be discussing now is transgender bathrooms. Mm-hmm. You know people common people look at that and go, you know, I think you might have missed on that one. And the libertarians, when we are on elections, what we're talking is uh, we want jobs, uh, prosperity, stability, we don't want inflation. Uh, we want peace. We want people to have guns so they can defend themselves from criminals. And like, the common person looks at this and gets the contrast to the other parties and goes, "Why is the radical guy the most, you know, sensible person in the room?" And um, and we got a lot of people. I think also in elections where they're they're normal. You know, I, I remember uh, of uh, which is the president from Students for Liberty. He once said like. The the people in, in LibertyCon Brazil are just so normal. <laughs> like, we don't have, like, you know, crazy gun-toting activists. Um, I, I don't have a problem with those people. Like, it's it's not I'm saying, like, that's bad. I'm just saying, like, you know, the campaigns that we have done with Ideas Hadekais, with, uh, with uh, candidates, it's like, uh, well, she's a mom, she used to uh, work in an airline, and now she's running for city councillor because she's a mom, she's a libertarian. And she wants to bring liberty to the city, and you know, take care of the children, take care of the families. You know, she looks normal. You know, uh, we had another guy. Was said, uh, he's a lawyer. He uh, advocates for uh, women who have, have been victims of um, domestic violence and that type of stuff. And so, it's common causes. We're we're not you know crazy like people it- look at this and go, this talks to me. And I think that when they get into office as well and they start doing their thing, people. Not only realize what we were saying theoretically on our channels, but they also realize in practice. So oh, now we have this legislation which simplifies opening businesses, and now there are more jobs. Ah, oh, see, they have a point. Oh, that sounds nice.
0: But is this anything to do with the politics of the left and right changing? Like, uh, I mean, you talk about transgender bathrooms and stuff. You know, obviously, yeah. But, but are, they, are the left and right both talking nonsense? So libertarian ideas, sort of straddling them in the middle, seem very normal. Or, or are they new ideas that people are kind of really tuning into?
1: I think there's a lot there. I mean, to a lot of people, what we say also sounds as nonsense. I mean, let's be fair. Uh, we still sound as nonsense to like 60% of the Brazilians. A, there was a recent poll in Brazil which said that 38% of the population is favorable to privatizations. Which is up from 20% seven years ago. So, you know, double the number in seven years. sounds good. If we can get a lot, of, if we can get some 15, 20% more, you know, that would be nice. It takes about like a decade, I don't know. But there are still, a lot of people don't like our ideas, and that's okay. But the point is, um, Brazil has tried pretty much every single policy and government except two. Free market economics and communism. That's that, that. Those are the only ones which we haven't tried. Like we they're had a military junta. Try, they're
0: gonna try communism then. Yeah, yeah, probably. Yeah, <laughs> they elected a guy. You know, they elected
1: that guy. But we're next. We're next. We're next. But the point is, um, so people are kind of just traumatized with uh, promises. We had a lot of inflation crises. We have a lot of political crises. Unemployment is always high in Brazil. There is a lot of problems. So people are always, like, pissed off at at politicians. And I think that the idea of making big changes when you have nothing is more palatable. Because, I I don't know, like, I'm just speculating, okay? But I think that if you go to Denmark and you say, like, everything is wrong, we need to change, people are going to be like, I mean, look, we might have problems, but everything is not wrong. It's kind of actually nice, you know? We have a lot of taxes, okay, there are problems, we got to fix things, but... Everything is not wrong. We live in one of the nicest countries in the world. So, you know, let's change the whole system. I'm not sure. But when you go to a country like Brazil, which has nothing, you're like, everything is wrong. And you look around and you realize, that, yeah, everything looks very much wrong. Yeah, I think we, I think we have alternatives that actually speak to... The more innovate, the more innovative people in the population. The more, the more the people who are more disposed to think of new ideas, um, and venture forth into something new. Um, it, which is funny because the the libertarian party in Brazil, liberal libertarian party, whatever you want to call it, uh, is actually called Novo. It's new, so um, it's kind of funny. Um, What's the percentage <clears throat> of their reach? Into politics, then. And percentage and representation? Yes. It's actually quite low in the federal chamber. Uh, It was 8 of uh, 513 congressmen. Uh, We have a lower chamber and upper chamber. In the lower chamber, it was 8 of 513. We got a big loss, actually, in 2022 because of external factors. It was a very polarized election, and it came down to 3, so it's under 1%. But if you look in state chambers and municipal chambers, is actually growing. You know, we have um, we have around sixty or so city councillors. We have governor, which is Zema. It's the governor of the 2nd uh, the second largest state in the economy in Brazil, just loses to São Paulo. Um, and he might be president in twenty twenty six. He might be elected. You know, we don't know. Um, but the point is like to, to translate that into elections is actually quite hard but there is um there is a big audience for that and and it's not just the that parties representatives if i were to count you of the 513 congressmen today and i actually work with that like we I, I am counselor on an institute which does lobbying in brasilia for free market policies so if we were to propose something free market just in general like privatize x or deregulate that we would have somewhere in between 100 to 150 votes before we need to call anyone they would just be like yep yeah, i'm down with that have you read it Nope. it's privatizing the f screw that <laughs> <laughs> whatever so you know even though like the, the the actual free market party doesn't have that big of a representation and i'm a member of that party you know by the way um there is an ethos right now in a lot of representatives in a lot of levels that it's not like they're classically liberal. They're not libertarians. They're not classical liberals. But they realize that on a zero to 10 scale, you know, 10 being like North Korea, Brazil is like a six. And they realize that it should be a three at most. Like they still like a lot of state things, but they agree that we've gone overboard by a long margin and we need to scale it back. So right now, you know, the next years, and especially after this presidency, which is a left-wing presidency, which is a disaster, uh, when whoever comes in to fix that in 2026, you know, the agreement is we're going to scale back like about half and then we're going to fight on the rest. This is what's going on pretty much.
0: But I mean, are you... a full backer of the democratic system in general. Uh, is it something? No. no, no,
1: no, by any means, no. No, I, I am a libertarian. I am, a, I am an anarcho capitalist. Um, I don't think this state has any function in society. Um, but what I always say is I'm not against democracy. I'm against voting. Because democracy, especially in Brazil right now, but democracy technically means a lot of stuff like uh, due process of law. You know, that's inside democratic values. Like, no libertarians against that. Uh, freedom of speech. That's supposedly, you know, not lately, but supposedly is inside of what you would call a democratic system. I'm not against that. Um, uh, separation from church and state. Yeah, I'm not against that. I'm in favor of separation of state and a lot more stuff, you know. So there are a lot of values in the in democratic system, which I agree. I just disagree with the whole concept of you voting on me. That's my problem. So I don't say that I'm against democracy. I said I'm against voting because if you say that you're against democracy, especially on a Latin context, most people would think, "Oh, so you want a dictatorship?" Mm -hmm. Because that's the opposite thing. So you don't want freedom of expression. You don't want LGBT rights. You don't want uh, you want like military schools and no, I don't want that. I just don't want other people voting on my life. That's it. Um, But I play the system because that's the game. You know, I can punch a wall, get pissed off, scream at a cloud, whatever. It's not going to change the fact that that system is already there. So, and and it's not like I'm saying that this is the only way that we can change the world. We can change the world in a lot of ways. Like, a lot, I like the the crypto initiatives. I, I love them. But the point is, at some point, some politician is going to go, nope. And we need some guys in there on that Congress to say, no, that's not passing. No, we're not voting that. No, we're going to block that. And we And we've done that in Brazil. We actually have held back some some legislation that would have curtailed uh, freedoms. Um, so I think it's like a mixed strategy. You know, I don't like the system. I don't want it to exist. But the game is what the game is. So I'm gonna play it.
0: Talk about some of the uh, some of the influence you've had. Um, we were talking about it briefly earlier. But uh, ways that you've uh, you know in, uh, affected uh, the the political sphere
1: ways that I have affected.
0: or oh, that you you were talking earlier about how you are you influencing government policy.
1: Oh uh, yeah, yeah. So, um, we have two different sections of my work, I guess. One is inside my company which is Ideas Kais and it's um it's um, it's an area of my company which we call it's uh, Gabinete Liberdade, the the translation would be the like the freedom cabinet or something like that which we it's a very localist strategy. You know, I think uh, I think Hoppe would be happy to know that this exists, I guess, um, which is we have elected around 60 city councilors in Brazil in 2020, which was the municipal elections. 2024 is municipal elections again. Our goal is to elect at least 200 city councilors in Brazil. And usually it's one in, we have like one or two in 15 or 20 councilors. So I think oh, they're, they're the smallest majority. No, we get a lot of stuff because usually you are in smaller, medium cities, where the other counselors, they they don't have any economic study, they don't have like ideological studies. They just represent like that neighborhood or the pets, or the civil servants, or just uh, they're they're not anything. So you get with a law, so you come in with the law and say, uh, he, let's um uh, simplify you know opening companies and running small businesses in the city. You know, to get the 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 inspectors off of small people, and they're they're all like, yeah, okay. Why would I not do that? You know, only the left wing guys are against that, and not even all of them, because they're like, oh, this is this is to help like uh, Maria who owns like a fruit stand, not you know the big bank. You know, screw the big bank, but this is not about it. the the you know huge bank. This is about some guy who's you know cutting hair and doing beards. Just you know, it's, uh, it's a side job because he's also an Uber driver or something. Let's help him out. Um, so we have that cabinet and we do consulting and supports for city councillors in Brazil to create legislation that helps freedom, which it's kind of, it sounds weird, but, you know, it's like uh, securing rights or um, just generally prohibiting government from doing stuff. Uh, we revoke a lot of stuff. We, we have a thing in Brazil which is called the Revogasso, which is the a big repeal I don't know. What, what we do is we take the entire body of legislation of a city, read it one by one, and find what um, impedes growth or economic activity or whatever or it's just insane or illegal or in constitution and there are a lot of stuff, and we send all of that to revocation to, to be taken down or to be reformed. We have done that on 21 cities already. It's over 100,000 laws that are yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> we've read every single one of them. <laughs> it's insane. Hundred thousand um, yeah, laws. Yeah, we've read every single one of them. Um, and we've <laughs> sent roughly 2,000 for uh for repeal. And you might think that 2,000 is kind of low, but you know, of that 100,000. 50,000 is just the budget law of the city of 1992. So it's like, yeah, that's not, I mean, that's a law, but that's not. What part of the legislation actually interacts with the citizen on a daily basis? Because there's legislation which is like, changes the name of the Secretary of Education. To Secretary of Education and Culture. Yeah, that's a lot, but yeah, whatever. Um, if you think just the legislation that actually touches your life in Brazil, it's roughly 20% on the city. So if we're sending 2% of the whole thing, we're actually sending about 10% of the legislation which somehow interacts with the individual to be revoked or to be changed significantly. Like There was a fair law in Itajaí, which... I mean, even the city the inspectors were like, this is dumb, man. Um, and we changed it um, modernized it to help like you know the fairies you know um um what's the market gardens you know people are selling like um, cabbage and like broccoli and that type of stuff and fish it's like let's make that simpler um we do a lot of that we do accounts auditing we've actually taken down a mayor on that (laughs) um but because of brazilian legislation if a mayor um if his if the budget comes out in the end of the year and it's negative, he may lose his mandate, but you have to do, like, it's really complicated. To, you know, prove that it's actually wrong and then to convince the other city councillors because they are they may be like, yeah, he overspent, like, 10 million doing schools. So are we really going to take him down for that? I think it's, mm-hmm. it's Like, yes, because it's debt, you know, we're going to have to pay that. You got to, if you forgive 10 million, t- next year it's going to be 20 and 100 and... The city is already in debt for two billion, and our city budget is one billion. So what the fuck, you know, <laughs> you know, you gotta cut this guy down. You know, we've done that, uh, so, and it's really on the local level. We've done, and we're starting to do urban reform at this point, which is like really complicated to get. But to think on how we can transfer urban administration or the administration of a space to private hands, because people usually think that the private ends at your door. So the sidewalk and the street, you know, they're like the state. They're not like a service or a product, which is like the, the whole point of the 3D Cities Institute. It's like you can have the city as a product. So we're trying to do like some halfway into that because he... You can't, you know, do that legislation in the city level. It has to be a federal level. But on a city level, c- city level, you can do something which we, ha- which we are um, implementing right now. I can't go into a lot of detail because NDAs. But um, the idea is, if a hundred percent of the people of a block or a street or, or an area uh, consent to something, they create uh, an institution above them, and that takes the. Uh, the administration of the urbanization of that area so think of like a street that has a lot of restaurants right so they can all sign that and become like a kind of like an open mall and they can take over the street i mean they can't just you know just blow up the street or whatever there are rules you know i, I wish they could <laughs> But, you know, you got to get what passes, but they can, you know, just change the sidewalks, change lighting, put security, put, put some, you know, musicians playing or I don't know, uh, change the rules on building on that. Because other oh, the facades like Portugal has a lot of this, like you can reform the building, but there has to be the original color and they can be like, uh, but we consent that this, this area is different so we can just do different stuff. So you're kind of turning that into an open mall. Oh, but you can do that in a in a residential neighborhood as well. So maybe a company can say, well, I'm I'm going to partner with you and I'm going to pave the roads and uh, do the maintenance and do the maintenance of that park or that square. And I'm going to put some security here and I'm going to charge you a fee extra. And you can say, well, well, we already paid taxes for that. Yeah, but you can have a discount on that. And I mean, everyone consented. So we consented that the, the company is going to take care of that and we're going to pay extra for that. What, and the, and the government reduce taxes for those people. Yeah, the, the idea is that you can reduce somehow. You can reduce somewhat. You can't like reduce one hundred percent, but you can take a cut because like it's that that is an expenditure that you're not having anymore, so we can cut that. You know, well, and that really that actually happened. So those people so are living that on that, that is on the works to be implemented. Okay, it's pretty sure that it's going to pass, but I can't go into detail of where or. Because NDAs and I mean, that that's type fascinating.
0: Of stuff. That's the yeah. first stage in a private city. I mean, like you know, you're basically sort of, private. Yeah. yeah. Well, if you it's think about stage. it, if you think about it, the verse in one sense, is the first preliminary step, because not only does it create a private, um, you know, a private area, it's also the government are kind of saying, okay, yeah, you can do that and, and you no longer have to pay us. You can pay the private... Uh, yeah,
1: you have to pay something, but you can have a cut in taxes of because of that uh, those services that don't have to be provided anymore. But the the core idea here is um, sometimes I joke that I'm a, I'm a gateway drug. Like um, my channel um, is... People joke that my channel has videos who are like hardcore libertarian there are videos who are news, and there are videos who are like gateway drugs. But
0: before you go on, I better tell everyone your your, your YouTube channel is called
1: Ideas, ideas Radicals. Yeah, radical, radical ideas. ideas. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it comes from a hopper quote. He says like, uh, "We need uh, to change society, and we need like, radical ideas." And I was like, "Yeah, that's a cool name."
0: And it's a big channel, right?
1: Uh, I no know, define big six hundred and fifty thousand people. Yeah. I don't know if that's big.
0: Yeah, that counts as very big. When when you compare it to legacy tv stations mind you probably not where you are but where i am that's not bad you know but you've got a lot of people living in brazil no i think that 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 counts as large okay sorry carry on so So,
1: but i have videos which i I call like gateway drugs you know like there is um uh, let me think of something here um let's see uh, i have a video recently which there was some there was an election fraud not in the counting but in the in the making of the Candidates were going to run. The, the party defrauded a few things, and that got into a trial, and that got invalidated, and they lost two two chairs in the city, and I think it was one or two. I who cares? But one of the guys, he actually elected to another thing later, and he's famous. It's like his uh, Nicholas, he's um the most voted um, chamber um, congressman in Brazil by like a million votes. And he wasn't that uh on that uh, defrauded thing. That the and it's not his fault. The party fucked up. It wasn't him. He's not guilty. But the point is that it got famous because he was there. Okay, so people were like, "Wait, well, wait, 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 So a city councilor was elected with a, a fraud, and, and because the way that you run for elections in Brazil is like it's not a district vote. It's the the party runs for the city. So um, so to get a seat on the chamber, you need like ten thousand votes. So all the, so you can field like 20 candidates and they get the, a lot of votes and the most voted one, if they hit uh, 10,000 votes, the most voted one gets the chair. So you can fill up the, 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 the group of candidates with a lot of people just to, you know, get a few extra votes. And there was a quota, like 30% of the women, 30% of the people on that, um, on that party need to be women, you know, running for office. And, often you can't find women, so you just get like, uh, you put the candidate and then his wife as a candidate or something, just, you know, to you know fill the, the thing up. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of people said, wait a second, so the, the guy that was city councillor and he voted a lot of stuff, he shouldn't be city councillor because the, his party defrauded the thing. And my video was like, yeah, and that's normal. But he was investigated because he was famous. But if you actually investigate all parties... Some 50% of legislators in Brazil will lose their seats. So by that token, pretty much every single legislation passed over the last 10 years is illegitimate. Even if you believe in like democracy and the state, blah, 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 by that rule, pretty much everything passed over the last 10 years is illegitimate. And people are like, whoa. And then I go, but if you kinda of think about it, there are other ways that the government is illegitimate. So it's a it's a gateway drug video, you see? Like, I'm getting people in one thing and kind of working them towards the direction, right? But as a channel, you're a libertarian channel, right? Yeah. yeah, okay. Yeah, but not all the videos are just like, yeah, taxation is theft, privatize everything. A lot of videos are like just, yeah, this decision is dumb and you're going to pay 100 billion in taxes more because of that, and by the way, taxation stuff staff. Is it like a weekly news, uh, daily news show? Daily, or a daily yeah. And it's daily. like a news show. YouTube demands that, basically. Like, you can have two forms. You can have, like, the super produced video, or just daily, and they go daily. But I was talking about that because I think that this this legislation of, like, the urbanization is a gateway drug. Like, because if I just go to people and say, let's privatize the city, people are going to be, wait, no, wait up, hold up. That, that's kind of a bit too much. Okay, no, calm down. What about you all consent, okay, and then some other private company is going to come here and charge a fee that you consented with, And they're going, you know, take care of the space and, you know, like, you know, paint the plaza and, you know, cut the grass and... Okay. And then maybe a few cities implement that. Not all. Maybe a few neighborhoods. But it's enough for people to see the contrast. You know, there's something that I always say, say, 20% of people are very um, abstract in their ideas. They're willing to entertain an abstract idea. 80% 80% of people, I mean, in Brazil, are very concrete in the sense of, yeah, your idea is fun, but I don't have money for food next month. So do you have a solution for us so there are more jobs next month because I might be fired? Yeah, but we can do crypto and you, you, I don't care. <laughs> what about my job next month? You know, so So when you implement a concrete solution like that, people go like, okay, this is definitely better. And I see that it's better. Because before that, and I think especially in a Latin context, I don't know about Europe or the US or whatever, whomever is listening to us right now. But in a Latin context, I always compare uh, voters with like a a traumatized woman. It's like uh, her father was a drunkard, her first boyfriend hit her, uh, her second boyfriend, you know, took uh, a loan on her name and got away and just fled. And you're the third guy coming in and you're a good guy, you're you're a nice guy but she's not buying it, but she's not believing in you. She's like, you know, th- people have done stuff to me. Why should I trust you? And you have to like win it, you know, step by step. I think the, the like the voter is a lot like that in, in Latin countries. Like they have heard like a bajillion promises and nothing delivered. And we're the next guy coming in with a promise like, Oh no, I'm going to do jobs. They're like, yeah, yeah, you're going to do a lot of jobs. I know. Um. So when you come with something like that and you show it to him, this is better. You convince a lot of people. So it's, like it's a it's a step in a way you know when you uh, the
0: the the example you gave of uh, the you know privatizing the street and etc et etc cetera, et cetera, do the residents sign a contract for that or will the residents sign a contract
1: so the idea we don't know exactly how it's going to come out it's not uh, you know it's not an income paper signed on effect yet, but the general idea is uh like um, what's the name of It was in English it's a, it's a sign up thing, you know, it's, uh, we on this street, you know, it's, suppose you have like a street with a lot of restaurants and one of them gets the idea. OK, got to convince the other one. So they all sign up. You have to show the signatures. You have to show everyone consented, 100 percent consent. Nobody's forced. And then they create like a, um, a company above them that that administrate that manages the whole thing. And the statute of that company can be decided by them. So it can they can be like equal partners or a more partners? Partnerships uh, have stock depending on the area of the business or how much money they pitch in. So whatever, do whatever you feel like as a contract. You can do different things. I don't care. Um, but that's the idea in general. And as
0: far as the whole of Brazil goes, are there many? Are there any projects in the works that you would class as kind of free city projects?
1: There is one that we did, which is already pen, pen to paper, sanctioned, and going through an investment coming in, which is uh, in the 1990s. Brazil became a democracy again, came out of the dictatorship in 88. We had a constitution in 89. And there were like two or three big inflation crises after that. And the 90s were basically, you know redoing the country basically. so we had a new currency which is the real which was the first stable currency in the history of Brazil basically and during that a lot of legislation to develop the country was done and most of it was, most of it is crap. One of them was some export production zones. what was the idea? Um, the idea is the the tax structure in Brazil is completely maddening is it's the worst country in the world in terms of complex complexity to calculate your taxes. It's just insane. Like, uh, it's it's bizarre. Um, and other than that, you have a lot of bureaucracy on top of that. So the idea was, look, there are companies who just produce to export. Like, I don't know, they raise some shrimp over there. And all of their shrimp is going straight to Sweden. Like, something like that. So, and when it goes, you have to walk back all the taxes that they paid in Brazil because it's an export, blah, blah, blah. So why are we forcing them to go through the entire system? to then get out of the system and export. Why won't we create like a special zone where can they, they can produce those things there as long as it is to export? And you just kind of skip the legislation of Brazil. That was the idea. So they created some uh, 13 or 14 of those. Only one worked, which is uh, in Ceará. It's the uh, Passem zone, which has like a huge... Um, uh, steel mill, I don't know the, the name of the, uh, who cares, um, but it's a, a huge steel mill there, it's the only one that would actually works, the other ones were just too bureaucratic, too complex and it never got to anything And because of COVID, there was some legislation um, on those zones because that zone in specific produced oxygen. And maybe you had to sell it to Brazil because, you know, oxygen. Um, And they had to do some legislation on that. And we came in with the idea of, I don't know, I mean, you were talking about, you know, like the the, the oxygen of the zone, you know, coming here. Why don't we like talk about like restructuring the entirety of the idea of the zone and change your law that is five lines to about 40 pages of a new structure on export zones and um we got that through that actually went that actually happened so the we did a lot of changes um so now the 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 council managing the zone is not uh, state appointed it's privately appointed from the companies who are there uh you can create new zones so it's not because they created zones in places which are like ah oh, we want to develop those places hey, why aren't they developed because they're shit places they don't make sense. So you put zones in places that don't make sense production-wise. So that's why they're not developing. Um, So now you can create new zones in other places and and it's not just the federal government which can create, uh, the state and local can create. um, An industrial association can requisite one, can say, look, we think that one here would be good government, can you approve it? Uh, You can create one under existing industry, in fact, uh, because you can say like, we're already exporting, but the production zone is like, Three hundred miles that way, which is dumb. Like, why don't we put one here? Right? Uh, there are a lot of things like that. We didn't get a lot of stuff into that lot. Like, we wanted to have housing units inside that, but then some politicians said, "Well, that's kind of a private city then." And we were like, yeah, "Is that bad? You know, you know, not maybe quite. is that a problem? <laughs> Apparently, so okay. So we took that out. Really? Um, so, but, wait, hold on a so what? It wouldn't pass if you had that. Really? So it's like you know there there's what you want and what you can get so we realized that we the law would not pass with the housing units so that was off but you can have production you can have supporting production you can have contracts in different currencies you can have different regulation and what happened that got passed because like i said before like you don't have to have like libertarian or like classic liberal minded people in the congress we we're like look The more that Brazil exports, like let's talk to the right wing. The more that Brazil exports, the more Brazil has economic independency and has actual sovereignty. Because you could have like paper sovereignty, you know, like Paraguay is sovereign, but whatever, you know. (laughs) Like Tibet was sovereign and then China was like, no, you're not, and invaded. You're going to do what? You know, you don't actually have, you know, like a, a name at a table. So, the more you're present in the world economics, the more you have actual sovereignty, and the more you can stand up to other countries. And the right wing guys were like, yeah, that, that that sounds that sounds cool. That sounds cool. you know we should have those experts on. it's so nice. And then we go to the like the left wing development guys. They're not like socialists. They're more like um, British labor party. maybe they're not they're not like full Marxist socialists. They're like, we need to protect the worker. Okay, okay. So um, we're going to have more industry, which pays higher high, higher wages. And industry is good. You know, got to develop the country, you know, bring that investment. They were like, yeah, okay. I'm done with that. The worker legislation applies, right? Right. Maybe not in the future, like we can amend that. But right now it does. Okay. And we got the votes of very different groups um, because they said, well, this is to help industrialize the country and got the law in. And there are a lot of, it's the, the, the acronym is ZPEs, so Zona de Processing and Export Processing Zones. And a lot of zones started to develop uh, over the last few years. I've been to a few of them. A lot of investments coming through, ZPEs are being created. It's actually kind of beautiful.
0: Can they make their own legislation?
1: They can regulate themselves in their production on that zone. But they don't have like uh, free labor laws. We wanted to get that through, but we wouldn't have the votes to pass it.
0: So they're a work in progress, though. According yeah, they're
1: to you. a work in progress. The idea, the idea is like I said, it's a gateway drug. So it's like you go from zero to four, but you want ten. But if I propose nine, I don't get it. It's not going to be approved.
0: Sorry. Um, what's the ma- getting from like four to ten? What's the main incentive for the government? Like because you've got to convince the government to hand here's the over thing: to. there
1: is no such a thing as the government right? It, it's not one organization. Like you have the presidential veto. Okay. Like you, the, you may pass something in Congress and the president just goes like, a no, and vetoes it. Yeah. Okay. Maybe. And, and if the president likes it and he has a lot of power negotiating in the chambers, yeah, he can help the law to get through. But the votes in the, in the lower, in the upper chamber, they're not the government. They're different people with different interests. So, whenever you do legislation, we've done a lot. We've done sanitation law, we've done this, we've done uh, economic freedom legislation, we've done tax reform, we've done a lot of stuff. You always list, like, who doesn't give a crap about this or will vote against just because they hate me. Yeah, okay, don't even bother calling that people. But then again, okay, so this is, um, so we've passed... Um, Say a uh, sanitation legislation, which is a, a legislation to um, basically enforce privatization on uh, sanitation in Brazil to bring water and you know sanitation treatment to Brazil, and it was like okay, so uh, the left wing is just against whatever, nobody cares. But what about the the generic politicians who don't have any ideas? They're just from that region, okay. Let's see, um, how many deaths per diarrhea have there been in that region over the last, you know, decade? You know, we can go to that guy and say, well, look, we want this legislation, yada, yada, because, you know, there is this state-owned uh, water company here, and, you know, you may like it as a state company, but, you know, 11,000 people died every year from 2008 to 2019 because of diseases associated with the lack of sanitation. And we estimate that in your region, like, this many people died. And we can fix this. So, I know if you vote for this, people are may say that you're privatizing the water. But you can reply saying, no, I'm helping to save, I don't know, 200 lives per year. You know, children that would die of diarrhea or stupid, like, medieval diseases. And that's nice for you to say. You know, that, that sounds cool for a election. They're going to be like, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Plus, you know, if it gets privatized... Maybe this is going to be like a couple billion dollars invested in your state, which, you know, it's jobs. So you're bringing jobs to your state. And you go, okay, okay. So you kind of go like group by group. We've done, um, there was this legislation we worked in, which was um, a trade deal between Brazil and Chile. And trade deals are kind of hard to work because, like, nobody cares. Like, why would a congressman care about getting a trade deal with another country? He doesn't represent that country. His priority is his section. So we had to actually map out, I mean, look, uh, what do we export to Chile? Meat. We export a lot of meat to Chile. So where? Where does it come from? From these four states. Call up all congressmen for those states. You want to help, you know, export the meat from your state, right? Yep, got to vote for that. They agree. Uh, what do we import you yeah, copper we import a lot of copper uh call up all the the legislators attached in the industry you want cheaper copper want, cheap, want the industry to go better yeah vote for that you got to just list every single thing and fight every single interest and go after people and it's and meanwhile the guys who are against it they're doing the same thing they're kind of trying to figure out like who are you going after and kind of trying to you know swing the vote and it's crazy but yeah uh,
0: so according to you then what's the What's the most compelling reason, or the biggest reason, that people get worried when you say we want to privatise the water? I mean, you've said that they have absolute distrust in the government, who current who would be currently providing the water. I take it. So, what, why do they? Why do they then go get uptight when you say well, we want to privatise the water?
1: Well, well. Um well, the socialists, I mean, don't even bother, right?
0: Yeah, right. I'm not talking about that. I'm the the talking guys, about normal people. <laughs> yeah,
1: but they just might worry like that the water, the water bill is going to go up like fivefold or that some company is going to come in and raise the prices and not do jack shit and just go like whatever. Or they're worried that uh, the company may screw up and then who's going to respond for that, you know, you know, because the company just cares about profit and the state company cares about the loving hearts of the people. But they know that they don't already, don't they? (laughs) Uh, you know, they, a lot of them don't.
0: You described them, the voters, as sort no, of I'm a not abused saying the voters. wives. I'm, I'm not <laughs> saying the
1: voters. I'm oh, right. saying the, the congressmen. Right. The, the people actually put the votes.
0: Oh, okay. I the people you were in general,
1: they, the 90% of people are completely unaware of legislation happening in general. They don't have the slightest clue of what's going on and whenever they do they usually have about half of the information wrong. The point is you have to talk with the congressman to say, "Look, when if someone attacks you over this, you can reply with that. Or if you think that you can be attacked by voting in this and this and this, you can actually preventively, you know, say that you're voting for actually that that and that and that is really good. And you get the narrative before, okay? Um so it's basically like um, how you're going to explain that to the people type of thing.
0: So what, what's that? I mean, do you have an official role in doing that? Or is it, you know, like it's more like an influencer really, isn't
1: it? Yeah, <laughs> my, I don't know how to describe my
0: job. I mean, man. It's an
1: influencer.
0: It's a libertarian yeah, influencer, isn't
1: it? I think I'm A bard? A bard. What do you mean? It it sounds so much better in British. Well, yeah, it
0: sounds good, but
1: in, in a British accent, it just, can you say that again? A bard. It just sounds good. So God, much man, better. you're not a bard. No. But I am. I know.
0: don't even know what a bard means, to be honest. What is a bard? A
1: bard is. Um, you usually think of a person who sings, sto- who tells stories, sings stories, and entertains and inspires. Right. So that's, that's what I think is my job. Were bards
0: singing in the ears of kings in the old days then?
1: Yeah, yeah. But but I think like I'm a boy, because uh, that's kind of a, a cheeky way to say that I, I think that my job is kind of like Carl Sagan or kind of like, uh, you know, maybe Milton Friedman. It's like, uh, but Milton Friedman was, but they were both doctorates. Okay. I mean, (laughs) I'm not even graduated, but but my point is um, they, they were, they weren't, you know, being like ultra technical about their jobs. They had that part, but at some point in their careers, they were like, but we got to go to the masses. You know, and there is like this huge wave. You know, and even though I'm an NCAP, I, I love like space exploration. And, you know,
0: um, what's wrong with space exploration? And, and being because an it's NACAP. usually
1: done by the state, right? Because you're like, oh, so you're against the James Webb Telescope? Yeah, no, I don't like that picture, no, but I think this, the picture is cool.
0: I've literally just had a two-hour conversation about colonizing Mars. Yeah, this morning, and the, the state is not going to make it to Mars before Elon yeah, Musk not. does. Like. But, but
1: the point is that people are like, so you're against like Hubble Space Telescope? And I'm like. Yeah, I'm against the Spanish trip, but I think it's like super cool. <laughs> you know <laughs> You know, if you're gonna do it, you might as well, you know. But uh it's, it's interesting, I guess. But my my point is what was my point? Uh, my point is that like um there is like an entire generation of people who went into physics and astrophysics and astronomy and space engineering because of Cosmos, because of Carl Sagan. And there, there's a generation right now who doesn't know what Cosmos is. Or they saw like Cosmos 2 with uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson. They were like, oh, this is awesome. You know, I think that's my job. I think my job is like, I know the technical part. And, uh, and it's fun to, to talk in like a technical podcast as this. This is not like general audience. But when I'm talking to the general audience, I'm talking like, how can we bring jobs? How can we further the economic development? How can we have more peace? How can we lower criminality? How can we make cities better with liberty? You know, kind of like Milton Friedman did with free Shoes. You know, I think that's nice. And, and there, like, that's my public job. And, and inside the movement as well. Uh, I lecture to a lot of different organizations in Brazil. I'm here to lecture to SFL Europe. Uh, and I see my job as a board. Like my, my, that What I'm doing here, my, my entire point of my lecture here is we've had a liberty wave in Brazil and we're kind of having one in Portugal as well. And what I want to tell you other people from Europe who like liberty is that my experience is that the future of liberty in your countries, if there is one, I don't know, in, in a few, they might there might not be. But if there is one, it's on your hands. You know, no pressure, but... I've been in a room of, you know, 20, 30 people who didn't have like the slightest clue what they were doing. And 10 years later, they were in government doing. I've seen that happen. Mm -hmm. I've seen that happen with the Iniciativa Liberal here in Portugal. I was here in 2018 and I actually met their crew. They they didn't have a single elected official. They, they had nothing, and then they went in a meeting with me. And I thought that the meeting was that's kind of spoilery, but I thought that the meeting was like they were going to tell me about like what, what they were doing. And I got there, and it was like, uh, could you like help us and give us some ideas on how what to do? Like we don't have the slightest clue. And I don't think I was really useful because I don't know like Portuguese culture that much. But I talked. We talked a few hours about like what we were doing in Brazil. Five years later, and, and I'm not saying this is my fault. Okay, it's like 99% of responsibility, but they have, I think, like six congressmen, and I think they are, they may be tied with Javier Milei in Argentina. I'm not sure, but the largest percentage uh, representation in a parliament or lower chamber, is them in five years. So my point is to all the people who are watching here, LibertyCon in Europe. We're from, I don't know, from Romania, Bulgaria, you know, Germany. Austria. I don't think Germany can do it. I mean, I, I think Germany is lost. All but right, let's, we'll, let's we'll let's give Germany a but, uh, but, uh, but I mean, like Hungary or Montenegro or whatever. If you're from that country and there are like five people in this room. The future of your country may be you. And you can do it. And here's how we've done it. Here's how the basic things. So... You know, don't, don't think that the system is like this huge thing that you can't take down. I had the idea of to do what I do today in the Liberty Con, not a Liberty Con, but a, a state conference from Students for Liberty in my state, which I used to live in. Um, it was like 200 people in a room and I was nothing like I, I didn't have anything. And I was in that room and watching the lectures. And I am like, uh, what if I started a channel and started talking about some stuff, you know, got some people together and then, uh, then we're, I don't know, might get a job out of that, you know, just, you know get some income, sell some shirts, I don't know, some mugs, uh, maybe got like 50, maybe 100,000 people, yeah, my, my, that might add up to something, I don't know, and eight, eight years later, here we are, you know, so what I'm saying to those people is like, you know, give it a go, you might do it, so... In that sense, I think that I'm a bard, like I'm, I'm, I'm here, you know, spinning tales of heroes past into how you can be one of those as well. Um, um, Tell
0: me about uh, the YouTube channel then. First of all, is it, does it make money or does it fund itself? The, the YouTube channel doesn't fund itself. You don't put ads on it or whatever?
1: There are, but I mean, my entire operation is, uh, let me do some quick math here. My entire operation today is somewhere between 10 to 12 thousand euros monthly. No, it's actually less. Than, around 10 thousand euros. Just monthly. for the just for no, the, the channel? No, the, the entire Everything. team. Everything. Okay. The entire team. The the elections team. The the uh the the consulting for mandatory team. The the social networks. I think. Does say, that
0: include SETI? No, that no, doesn't include different. SETI. Right. SETI is a, so is what a, is that called? What's the umbrella?
1: Hatch uh, no. yeah, Guys. What? It's the channel. The, the a As- oh, guys channel and the teams below it. Right. Okay. So, so uh, and this is. I th- think the, the entire operation is like eight to ten thousand euros a month, something like that. Um, YouTube brings in like eight hundred euros a month.
0: Is that all? With yeah. Six hundred fifty thousand subscribers. I would have thought that was.
1: Yeah, because uh, the algorithm doesn't like us. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know, there's that problem, and we're monetizing and, and there's like, we're monetizing in Brazil which doesn't bring a lot of dollars ah, is, is that
0: right so if you if you were being watched in america yeah yeah i thought
1: about doing a, a youtube channel in english and starting from zero but it's like well first you got to fix Brazil. you know so yeah. you got to focus you know I, I don't know it's something i kind of come and go like every six months i decide they're either I'm, I'm gonna do it i'm not gonna do it And I'm not sure, but if I were monetizing it on a different level, like internationally, yeah, it would be making like a lot more money.
0: Yeah. But, um,
1: and and the thing is that a lot of sponsors, a lot of people who advertise in YouTube, they don't want to advertise in videos about politics. So we get like very reduced monetization from that, but we, we run on donations. We run on services that we provide. Like we, we set up, we set up campaigns. We help elect people. That's a service. We charge people for that. We consult for uh, people in office. That's a service. We charge people for that. And we charge the... And by the way, we don't get state money. We charge the people. You know, the people in the office or other people, uh, bankroll them uh, and pay their... You know, uh, we don't do contracts with the government. So we have a lot of different financing um, ways. But yeah, YouTube is like some change in the pot. It doesn't...
0: And um, <clears throat> so talk about SETI then, which is... okay. The third arm of no, well, actually, you've got two arms. I think you've got SETI and the uh,
1: yeah, radical, it's actually radical three ideas. Because the 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 lobbying team in Brasilia is not mine. It's a separate institute, It's the Free Market Institute, ah, okay. which I help it to uh, help it uh, to to start. And I'm a counselor today, but it's not mine. Like I don't run it. You know, you, you have a council. You
0: know, so SETI is a private company. So that, that, SETI that is
1: a private company.
0: Helps individuals.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah, we help uh Brazilians. It, SETI is my um is my Brazil put. It's like, okay, I'm trying to fix Brazil by by doing you know libertarian stuff and, and yeah. No, no. But there are a lot of people who don't believe in it and or they don't want to, you know, ah you're gonna take like 10 years to fix this. I'm not just staying in those ten years, like screw that. Um, there are the people who just want to, to go away, to not live there or just uh, to live there, but to pay less taxes. know, there is a market for that. And, and so the idea is like, what if it all goes wrong? Then what? So I always wanted to have a company that helps people to get out of Brazil. Because it's like, what if we turn into Venezuela? What if I need to get like 300,000 of my fans out of Brazil in like a year? How would I do it? I need to have that. Plus, in the in the middle of the way, it's a nice product. You know, like we help you to leave Brazil to, and and by the way, we we don't just um help Brazilians. We help anyone. It's just that since I talk in Brazilian, since we sell in, since I talk in Portuguese, and you know, public tends to do that. But if for some reason you're you're a foreigner and you're watching this and you're thinking, but I want to live in Brazil, you know, you know, you can live there in a very low taxes. Actually, it's possible. You know, we got the beaches, we got the sun. You know, it's, it's a nice country. We've 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 brought in people from overseas, um, who wanted to live like a digital nomad or invest their life in Brazil. Like their income is foreign. Like it's not a good country for you to come in and open an industry. But if you have like foreign income, or you just want to you know like live in a beach in the beach and you know kick back and relax, yeah, it could be fun for that. You know, if you're German and you really really like the sun. Yeah, I understand you're wanting to come. Um, where so do, we can help you with that. But where do where does your average, or not your average, where would a
0: Brazilian national be looking for a second passport, say? America well, you know, yeah, America. It's, it's
1: not a second passport because a lot of people think that to, to, to change countries you need the passport, and you absolutely don't, but a lot of Brazilians do. Uh, but when people leave Brazil... It's really personal, you know, because there are a lot of options. We, we mostly tend to pick o- people who work remotely, like devs or that type of stuff. Um, people who are in uh, betting, who are, you know, poker players, that type of stuff. Investors, a lot of crypto people. And uh, people who have highly mobile jobs, like doctors. You know, the doctor says, well, I can doctor anywhere. I just have to go through the test. And it's like one year to get, you know, the certification in that or this or that country. I'm done and I can be a doctor in any place. Like no country is going to refuse a doctor, like whatever, you know. So we tend to a lot of those people and it tends to be really personal. It's like, do you like the cold? No, I really hate the cold. Okay, so, you know, cut out, you know, Estonia, you know, Latvia, you know, just cut that shit. Well, I really love the cold. I like to go skiing and that type of stuff. Okay, uh, do you know that you could, you know, live like really low tax and have skiing resorts in Bulgaria? You know, people don't know that. Uh, there are people... Uh, because it's not always like a, a tax-free decision. You can you can be completely tax-free and live on Pitcairn Islands in the middle of Pacific with like 40 people who are dying. Yeah, but that's not fun, you know. You But there are things like, oh, I gotta go with my family, you know, my, I'm going with my wife, she doesn't speak English, so... Um, th- there are guys that uh, there was a guy we we had as a client. He had to take like his whole, whole family, and they didn't speak English, so they came to Portugal. So, ah, you're still going to pay a reduced tax from forty eight to twenty percent for the first, first uh, seven years, so you're paying seven twenty percent tax on your income. But in Brazil, you're paying like twenty seven, and you're in a country with a lot of better schools, uh, a safe country. You know th- that's better. Plus, you can put your companies there and your money there, and you're better. Okay. You, we've reduced your your load in in your free now, uh, or freer now. Um, so it really changes a lot. We've sent people to Thailand, to Georgia, to the U.S. Uh, we just don't send people like the, it's funny because they're the trap countries, like countries that people really think they are fun, and we're like, no, they're not. Like, yeah, Such I want to go to Canada. I, don't. Yeah. Okay. Don't. We have a meme in the company. Like we have a pre-written email. On reasons why you should not go to Canada. <laughs> go on then. What? Like we top have that email. Like, just con- it's just like copy paste. You know, top five People are like, reasons. like oh, I don't want to go to to Canada. It, no, it's like top forty reasons. <laughs> give me the top five. Then. It's it's like it's it's a it's a it's a left wing country that is training to be more left wing. The restrictions during COVID were really crazy. Um, the the country's financial pension system et is not sustainable, which means taxes in the future. There are provinces who are more freedom oriented, but do you like polar bears? <laughs> you know, because if you're going to live in like fucking Ontario or Vancouver, yeah, you're going to be living like the left wing of the left wing, dude. This is not going to be fun. You know, I want to be with the conservatives. Yeah, do you like polar bears? You're going to see a lot of them if you want to be close to those people, you know. Um, it was interesting to see
0: my impression of Canada changed. Almost over a two-week it, period, they have like state-owned liquor stores. I know, but it, it was like, always you have nationalized booze. What the hell? Canada was always the place you went where everyone was really chilled out. I've been there. I, I was. I thought this is friendly. You know, it was about twenty years ago. It's. It was quite astonishing how oh, it we turned just
1: went woke. Yeah.
0: out of nowhere. Really, really, and authoritarian. Like, yeah. yeah, no, both together, the worst type. I mean, yeah,
1: it, it, I love that meme of like the left wing twenty years ago was like "fuck you, I won't do what you tell me," and today the left wing is like "fuck you, you will do what you t- they tell you." Yeah, and Canada is like that right now. So our point is like Canada is a stock that has maxed out. I mean, it's a nice country. Yeah, you can live there. It's, it has the high taxes. You know, it's a nice country, and it's not going to get any better. It's like it's California. It's San Francisco ten years ago. It's a nice city, and it's not going to get any better.
0: Go on then, what are your top, top three places on the other end of the spectrum? On then? the
1: other end of the spectrum, like um, Georgia, Tbilisi. Tbilisi is really fun. Uh, Georgia is really fun because it's the, the other way around. I mean, the, right now it's a bit inflated because like <laughs> half of the male population in Russia fled to Georgia to, to avoid the draft, which tells something. You know, they didn't flee to Azerbaijan. They didn't mm-hmm. flee to Armenia. They didn't flee to Kazakhstan. They didn't flee to Belarus. They fled to Georgia. Which is a long drive, mind you. Uh, you know, plot plot uh, how many um, driving hours it is from Moscow to Tbilisi. You're gonna have some fun. But um, Georgia right now is kind of inflated because of that, but it's going kind of pass. And and it's a country. I mean, there there have been some problems lately in Georgia uh, that I've heard of. I'm not like 100 up to date on that. But but it's a country that has decided to be free market. It's a country that has decided clearly that they want to be freer, and they're still on the up. So you're getting a company that has a future, you know, think about that. Um, another country that we send people to is Costa Rica, uh, because like the cost of living is a bit more expensive. Yeah, okay, um, in, in comparison to Central America, but it has a very large expat community. Because, like, when you're living your country, if you go to to place, like, if you're going to, like, the interior of the interior of Romania, it's like... You're gonna have some problems socializing, you know. It's gonna be kind of lonely for some for a while, uh, you know, not, not the, this on the interior of the interior of Romania. I don't know you guys, but this is just a generic example, you know. Um, so but it has a really big expat community, cost of living is a bit higher, but you can live pretty much tax free. It has, uh, it's very tropical, it has very nice beaches, it has a good infrastructure, you know, compared to the level of Central America. So it's um, you know it's very cost effective I think um, Colombia we not we're not sure Colombia we're not sure like we, we we used to like it more now with Petro it's kind of iffy uh, I guess Portugal is nice for Brazilians because of the language barrier and the cultural barrier is not that big plus it's a low cost of Europe while still being Europe mm. you know that's nice um, but a, a, a solution very good for Brazilians right now is Uruguay. Uruguay is uh, very close, culturally quite similar, Uh, very low taxes. You can be 0% tax there or low tax there, uh, depending on what you do, what's your structure. Because, again, it's very personal in the sense of, like, uh, I want to be a doctor. Yeah, that might not be the best thing, but I'm just a programmer and I just want to chill. I just want to be in a chill country, I really like barbecue, you know, I got to have my meat, you know. I uh, don't want to be like in Europe paying price of gold for a steak. <laughs> screw that. Um, the problem with Uruguay is it's kind of like a boring old city, you know, it doesn't have a lot of fun. So, you know, if you're like more of an introvert and you like to be in your house playing chess like me, you know, that, that's fun. If you need you know your if you need your parties if you need your your chaos yeah that yeah, might sound a bit like the retirement home for you it's not that fun you know
0: what about uh, America and Europe are they off the table for you American like, Europe America and Europe, uh, the and US, Europe.
1: we uh, I mean the US is very state by state like California is pretty much no goes on at this point uh, New York as well. But we've sent people who work with uh with uh, gambling and um you know like poker gambling that's the type stuff poker playing um, by the way that type stuff to the U.S. Uh, devs you know people want to be like in the richest country in the world but we're like yeah go to like Florida or you know I don't, I want a colder place yeah Wyoming is nice you know it's very good crypto legislation in Wyoming by the way yeah. uh, maybe Texas. And it's a very state-by-state thing. Europe... Europe is a thing, dude. Because most... Like, Central Europe is a no-go, pretty much. Like, Germany, Austria is like... Why? Why would you... Like, just see what Germany did in COVID. Like, it was insane. But there are countries where you can get uh, tax discounts. Um, Spain and Portugal have a um, temporary residence... uh, Resident uh, tax discount where in the first years that you go, you have a discount. I don't know the uh, Spanish one by heart, but the Portuguese one is you pay 20% for the first seven years. Uh, in Brazil, you pay the, the highest taxes, uh, 275 plus the consumption tax. Um, in Portugal, cons- the consumption taxes are really low and income taxes are really high. So uh, an average citizen in Brazil pays roughly 40% tax on income. Uh, the poorer you are, the higher that goes because consumption tax is actually quite high in Brazil.
0: Um, haven't they just added uh, or about to add a five-year digital nomad visa in Spain as well? I yeah, think.
1: they're doing something like that. I don't, I don't know the consulting for the clients. I mostly do like the the, the promotions, so I don't know like, the, the ultra nitpicky details, but I think they're doing something like that. Spain has that. Spain actually is the fastest way to a passport in Europe. I think it's like uh, you get the permanent visa residency uh for two years and then you can apply for citizenship you can be a citizen in like four years which is really easy so if you're looking for a european passport spain is a good idea ireland has a huge brazilian community like there's a joke that if you go to ireland and just speak speak portuguese you're fine There, there are just so many brazilians there it's insane and it's very low tax um it's a very tech country the problem is uh the housing prices are just insane um, and we recommend a lot of uh, the Balkans. You know, Serbia, Croatia. They're nice countries to to be. You know, low tax, and you're still kind of in Europe. Czech Republic is super awesome. You know, Prague is super awesome. You know, the best and cheapest beer in Europe. First of all, you know, I think that's a that's already you know enough of a selling point. But you're getting a German culture and infrastructure, but not the legislation or the taxes. You can be there for like seven or ten percent tax a year, which is really nice. Um,
0: what about the, the sort of the places that you think of as on the free city spectrum like, you know, Dubai's, the Dubai's yeah, those yeah. Sort of, and well, or those even, are the money makers. What about on, even you know, in Honduras now. Yeah, you know, like, Roton,
1: yeah, recommending Roton rec- is quite, it's kind of hard because it's, there, there, there isn't it, it's really for the the, um, the adventurer, you know, it's like I, I want to grow with something. Because, like I said, we have clients of all types. So if a guy is like, I have my wife and two children who are like three and five and we're not going to homeschool. Yeah, that's that's not for you. Mm-hmm. Like, you need a country like, you need a country with like international schools. You can't go to like fucking Montenegro. Like, they don't have the structure to receive your kids and, you know, put them in schools and that type of stuff. You need somewhere like uh, Tallinn, Estonia that, that has international schools or Dublin or something like that. Um but uh, uh, the, 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 the Dubai's of the world that we call like the money makers. So they're for people who are like, I want to, I have a, a crypto company here in Brazil and it's kind of doing nice, but the regulation just doesn't fit and the taxes are going to be crazy or I haven't, inv- we have that, get that a lot. Um, I started investing in crypto like six years ago and I'm a, like a multimillionaire and nothing's declaring I'm fucked. I need to get away to help. We get a lot of that and it's like, are you single? Yeah. Do you want to? Marry someone? man nah, well, cool. Go to Dubai because, like, <laughs> Dubai is not the place where you go to like meet a meet a meet a woman. And most of our clients are male, so um, we very go to like find a wife and start a family. Dubai is you go to make money. You, you know you go to make bank. So uh, if that's your lifestyle, and you're a male, you know, like, if there is like a single woman who is our client, like Dubai, yeah, maybe no, I don't know. It <laughs> might not fit for you, you know like i said it's a really personal thing but those those things the the dubai's of the world those special zones are yeah they're they're very niche thing but they have their their place
0: what about yourself you're happy in brazil
1: uh no that's why i'm trying to fix it
0: (laughs) but have you got a have you got a plan b
1: uh yeah i do like but i would only i i would I used to say that I would only leave if I was sure that Brazil was going to turn full Venezuela and there was nothing we can do about it, or threat of life. Now I think I would stay under threat of life. Really? I think I would. Because there was, that there is a, um, you know, Operation Car Wash, right? Yeah. No. Operation Car Wash was uh, the the big corruption, uh, anti-corruption uh, operation that arrested Lula, that arrested a lot of people, that uh, caught like, the biggest scandal in the history of mankind, pretty much. And it was run by uh, the judge uh, Sergio Moro. Uh, he left uh, the bench as a judge and became a politician. He's not a senator. And I guess like a month ago... Um, they uncovered a plan by one of the Brazilian mobs, uh, the PCC, it's a criminal organization. They had like a full-on plan to kill him. Like, you know, like cars, guns, the houses, like everything was set up. And and he was like, yeah, staying. I was like, that's, that's, you know, that's some big balls, man. It's, after you did that, I, I can't, I can't, you know, say that I would leave, you know, just stay on and fight. But if I, but if I was like persecuted or if I, cause I I have people in places. So if, if it was leaked to me that like, dude, you're going to jail is the Supreme court has decided because like, fuck you, whatever you're going to jail. Yeah. I would have to, maybe, Mm. maybe if I was jailed, it would help. Maybe it would help Maybe I would stay. Depends. But then I would flee. Yeah. But under very special circumstances. And where would you go then? Um, I've thought about that somewhat. Like, um, I I really like Estonia as a country. Like, I've talked about it a lot, but I can't live there because I have problems with depression. So you know, winter, not having the sun, yeah, that's that's, that's not gonna work. You have problems with winter. Yeah. <laughs> it's different. Yeah, I, yeah. 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 So um, so it would have to have be a place. I don't know, like Portugal seems fine, you know. Yeah. You have a little bit of code, but not too much, yeah. you know. Um, and it still has like that Mediterranean vibe, maybe. And I have a lot of friends here, by the way, so.
0: T- tell me a little bit about what excites you in Free Cities, since you know a fair bit about it.
1: Uh, I think it's just due to the beauty of it, you know. The most... I don't know if most people, but a lot of people come into libertarianism because of the economics or crypto. Like they really start Bitcoin and start studying. And they're like, oh, there's a rabbit hole here. Sounds fun." Um, there is that. There are a lot of people who come in, not in Brazil because Brazil doesn't have wars. But in the US, there are a lot of anti-war people who become libertarian. Um, I became libertarian. The first thing that, that, that got to me was um, just human potential. Just thinking, like like I was talking before, like space exploration, like music or sports or that type of stuff, uh, or art, you know, all those things that show here's what men can be. And and I have this personal fascination myself on being better, you know, like I train me lifting. I, I love the idea of like, how much can I lift? And what if I had like two kilos? Yeah. I like that. I play chess and I, I compete at playing chess. And I love that. I, I love to play music. I, I love to the, the constant idea of trying to be a better version of myself. And, Very Ayn Randian. Yeah. And, and and I got really into kind of like uh, through Milton Friedman and Thomas Sowell and Ayn Rand. And, 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 and uh, because that's one of the things a lot of people don't know. I was a professional magician for seven years.
0: A professional magician.
1: Yeah. I worked. What because was your because best if you trick? say that you were a magician, people like think of your <laughs> silly uncle. What was right? your best trick? I mean, are
0: you talking like you could, could you amaze me, for example? I amazed
1: you, people for a living.
0: Right. But you know what I mean? Sometimes you watch a magician and you're like, no, I would like I, fuck
1: I, your brain like <laughs> completely. Like that was the type of stuff. Like, Is there anything on this
0: table you can do a trick with?
1: uh Looking around. no i have retired for like eight years i don't do <laughs> so? like but i used to do like hypnosis like predictions like a lot of i used to be I'm still a huge fan of like darren brown you, you ever yeah I, know. yeah I did that type of stuff
0: right so you you kind of psychologically coax people into a situation
1: yeah yeah and it's like mentally melt people like i would love to do that and and it was just like a I love to, like I said, I'm a bard. You know, I, I like I like to entertain. I like to amaze people. I like to inspire people. It's something that resonates with me. And I remember that as an artist, I found just how much like I'm losing as an artist because people don't have money to watch shows because the economy is fucked and people don't have jobs for don't have money for that. Because even though like you can have like a cultural preference for art or for entertainment. You're going to do that when food's on a table, the rent's paid, you know, the bills are paid, the children are raised. You're not going to be like, oh, let's cut the meat from this and go watch a show. Yeah, you're not going to do that. So then I realized, like, we could have a lot more of this if the government wasn't just fucking up everything, couldn't we? Or just how much taxes Brazil taxes the crap out of, like, music instruments. And like and there are amazing Brazilian musicians. I, I've been a drummer for eight or nine years when I was younger, when I was an adolescent. And I used to play in a school that was like really, really serious. So I I'm played with some really serious guys. Like to, some listeners might recognize the name. I had I studied under Achilles Priester, which is like an internationally famous drummer. Um and you realize like There are some really amazing guys in Brazil. Like, really amazing guys in Brazil. But we don't get out much because... Like, we can't get good equipment because everything is triple the price because taxes. We can't get good instruments. We can't get good systems. We can't... Crap. Like, we're stuck underperforming because... Like, the prices of things bar us out from good equipment. Um, or, or we can't go and study abroad because this and this and that. So, and, and you start to realize, like, just how much the state impedes human development. And then when I got to Milton Friedman and Thomas Sowell and, like, Free to Choose and realized Brazil is poor by choice. I was like, oh, we could we could be as rich as developed countries right now the the, the difference between developed and underdeveloped countries are did they have freedom it's not that the culture or, or the weather it's, it's not that it's did they have freedom that's it because like how did japan come out from being nuked into shit into 1945 to being a developed nation in the 1980s that's 35 years is there, that's my life, like I'm 32 right now, so what the hell, or um, Estonia, Estonia always shocked me, because it was a country that came out of like dead misery, in, in 1991 in the Soviet area, the Soviet Union collapsed, and Estonia came out that the average wage was literally the misery line, which is $1.90 a day, that was average, okay, so half of the people were below that, And so they put up some reforms in 1992, 3, 4, 5. And then they start growing 10%, 12% a year. And today, the average wage in Brazil is roughly some $500. And the average wage in Estonia is like 1,700 euros. They're almost four times what we are. And that was entirely a choice. Brazil is poor as it is because entirely a political choice. And you realize... This is like my life being taken away from me because of political choices. I'm being less in my life. I'm I'm having less fun. I'm having less experiences. I'm growing less as a person because of that. And that's for what first snapped me into being a libertarian. It's being like, it's not about a profit or Bitcoin or whatever. It's about me being in charge of my life and what it could be and what I lost and I can get back, you know, I think that's like the, the, like one of the most cruel thoughts you can have of like, what could I have been had not X and Y and Z? And when they're in your control, you can be angry at yourself or you can change that. But imagine realizing that you're never going to be A, B and C because other people think X, Y and Z and that's it. Like, that was my first rebellion. So I think that was very constructive. I don't know how much that resonates to people. Well, I
0: I was talking also about um, free cities and what's exciting about that. Yeah, (laughs) so
1: circling back to that, sorry. Um, So the idea of free cities is, well, now you can, right? So you don't have to convince tens of millions of people. You can just have like that space, And that space is free to be something. And so, what you're saying is that it's not like a business or a profit or it's it's, now this space is completely free to to try, to experiment, and to become something amazing. Right? It's kind of like. Imagine like an athlete you follow and he gets hired to a really big team and you're like, now he's going to have the wages and, and the team around him. And oh, my God, this guy's going to kick ass in about a couple of years. And that happens and you're like happy, you know, Th- that's the feeling I get. So the idea that we're finally going to free human capacity to create and to create very many different things, because if you look at Prospera today, the idea is like that very, you know, Zaha Hadid vision, which I think is just like fucking beautiful, um, but then you can have another vision which is like a completely sustainable city with like no cars and it's like green and whatever and like I'm not that attracted to it like personally but it would be like so super awesome to see that like, that exists you know we now know that we can do this because I, and I work with cities today in in my job and I see like how they gripe on the smallest meaningless shit like Uh, You know, the budget to rent a Christmas decoration was over budgeted by 150%. They're like, we're discussing this. We could be doing so many more important things with our lives than like this. Um, And when you realize the idea that you can have competing visions of a city, competing visions of cultures and civilizations, and just think about just how many different things can come out of that is just fascinating. It's just like, uh, you know, um, Hubble or James Webb is out there in the space, and they're taking pictures, and some awesome stuff is gonna come in. And you're like, oh, what we're we gonna find out now? It's it's kind of like the same feeling of, of we're you're, now free to create.
0: So you're optimistic
1: then? Very, very, very.
0: T- so talk to me about that then, because there are many barriers to entry for the free cities model, and we Maybe, know that yeah. because there there aren't any. That really exist yet. I mean, Prospera and Morazan, those kind of places, they're they're good examples. But I think, you know, everyone that looks at them who knows wants to go further than that. So how do you how do you how are you optimistic when? I mean, especially coming from Central and South America yeah. region, you know what it's like to basically have the state come in and steamroller great plans.
1: Yeah, that can happen. But you know, in Brazil we have an attitude. Um, I don't know if that's international or not, but we have a saying uh, which is uh não já tenho agora vou atrás do sim." I already have your no, so now I'm going to try to get your yes. So either way we lost, so we might as well. You know, that's that's kind of like the attitude, and yeah, the government can just come in and ruin everything. yeah, but if if especially if you're a Latin American and you think that, then why try anything? Right? So it's a given that at any point they can do that. but uh, I, I really like challenges and puzzles, and I really like the idea of the challenge to get that through. And I think that the thing that that gets me optimistic about that is that we fought them and we won. You know, we got that experts on legislation. It was, I mean, it was staggeringly easy. I mean, it was, you know, it was a conjunction of stars that aligned into something happen, Something happening. Yeah. Okay. But I mean, at the time I was like dead ass broke, like completely, like almost no operational capacity we had at the time. I was in deep depression at the time. Like I, I had, um, I had like difficulties, like getting my day started I wasn't operating well like personally. Uh, we, we didn't have know much of what we were doing as a team. We only had like a couple of years' experience in working in the federal level uh, at a federal level in Brazil. And still we got that through. And I was like, if I would rank my quality of work at this point from zero of 10 out of 10, I wouldn't give myself a three. And we won that. So what if we had the resources? What if I had the team? What if we had the experience? And and this movement is only growing here, like in Brazil. We had a few rough years in COVID, and but everyone have had that. So that that's not an excuse. Like we're always having more people, and I think that's that's the big difference. You know, um, if you think oh the state has always done this, this, there was never in the history of mankind an organized libertarian movement. I remember reading some, I think it was something like by Walter Block, And it was uh, Walter Block talking about Rothbard. He was like, ah, in like 1968 or something, some year like that, I don't know. He said, I asked Rothbard, ask asked Murray, Murray, how many libertarians do you think there are? And he said, ah, about 20. <laughs> like, I, I could call, uh, you know, humility aside, I could call a meetup on my Instagram of libertarians in Lisbon now, and in three hours, I would get 20 libertarians in Lisbon to to drink something. Because I have done in twenty that in 2018 when I was here. I was, like, bored one day. And I was like, I'm just going to publish a video saying that I'm in Lisbon and I want to hang out with some people in Porto. And we got, like, 20 people. Like, you know, like that. Um, so there never was this movement. And I know that in a lot of countries, it doesn't exist. But there is in some. You know, in Argentina, it's huge. In Brazil, it's huge. Uh, I know that in Georgia, it's, apparently it's big as well. I know that some like Romania and Poland might be getting some stuff. I've heard. Okay, I'm, I might be wrong. Portugal like has elected representatives. Uh, Ireland is getting some stuff. I, I'm not sure. Like um, the U.S. Canada, by the way, have their own things. I'm I'm not I'm not 100% in on what they're doing. But the point is that we're growing, and so if we're getting those victories and we're still young and we're still like criminally underfunded. We can do this. I mean, we can. And and I think that this is one of those things where it, this is... um. It's kind of like soccer, you know? Like, you can throw 30 balls at the goal. Yeah, the, the goalie caught 29. Still made a goal. <laughs> <laughs> Still counts. <laughs> there is we, we say something like, there is no ugly goal. You know, It's a goal, it's a goal. It's worth one. So, uh, I got one, you got nil, I won. So, uh, you only really need one of those, I think. Like... Because people don't understand liberty. Like, there aren't people... And that's why I said I'm a bard. Like, my job is to, like, tell those stories. Um, People don't know those stories. People don't know the stories about how the state fucks up everything. They don't know the stories about countries that made, like, huge liberty turnovers, like Georgia or Estonia, and that grew, or Rwanda... I, there was, there is like this uh, big left wing influencer in Brazil who, he was giving an interview and was like, ah, oh, this, these free market idiots, this never works. Uh, tell me three countries, tell me like one country that was like super poor and then went free market and then they got rich. It doesn't exist. And I was like, okay, let's, I did a reply video with got like, I mean, I mean, like half a million views, something like that. Um, I was like, okay, let's just stay on Africa. I'll give you three. Botswana, Mauricio, and Rwanda. Those three went free market and they're growing like super fast right now. And you only need one of those for people to look and to shake them into thinking. Like They they might not fully agree with you like libertarian 100% in once, but... Once you show them, like, here's a country that, like, Rwanda went to, like, a devastating civil war. I think it killed like ten or twenty percent, and bec- between like dead, uh, dead people and refugees, I think it was like twenty percent of the population, on a miserable country that like, people mostly work in subsistence agriculture. Okay, and they came out in the '90s. And, and by the way, uh, I don't think like that's the perfect government. I have some criticisms to their government forms. I think there are some authoritarian things there. But that being said, on the turn of the millennium, they're like, okay, let's try the free market. You know, let's try to put some capitalism in this thing, and they start growing 10% a year. And people are profoundly changing their lives. And like the Kigali Zone today has the first uh, mRNA vaccine factory in Africa. So Rwanda is the only place, the only country which has the capacity to produce its own uh, COVID vaccines or or mRNA vaccines in general, and the rest of the, the 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 countries they depend on the goodwill of other countries. So it's like I'm not talking just profit here. I, I like this vaccine argument to other to like common people because it's like here's a here's a country which went to liberty and now has the capacity to take care of itself. And I know, like a lot of people who listen, are anti-anti-vaccine or don't. But th- that's not the point. Like the point is, you see how this brings development in other areas, right? And and you only really need one of those to give some very profound problems to the s- defenders of the state. So my point is, like when I when I when we work with cities, like there there are today two cities where the mayor is a libertarian in Brazil. It is Joinville. He, and and uh, Patos Minas. Uh, one is six hundred thousand inhabitants, and the other is one hundred fifty. The first one, Joinville, the mayor. He is, um he's very. He's not like end cap libertarian, but like he's almost there. You know, he's a great guy. Oh, I love that guy. Um, uh, and he's from Novo Party. He's like free market, open stuff. His approval rate is ninety two percent. Twenty percent of the city voted in the presidential elections. For the left-wing candidate, Lula, they voted for the guy who was like, yes, I like dictatorships. Out of three people who voted for that guy, two like the libertarian mayor. So when we come in and and we start to do stuff and we start to manage things, um, thinking on the free market and start to privatize things or put like better incentives or generally think liberty and put that on the city, pretty much everyone agrees. Yeah, that's a good idea. And every city around Joinville, which is like the economic capital of the state of Santa Catarina, every city, city around that is like, dude, we're fucked. He's going to get all the industries. He's going to get all the business. They're all going to go. We got to do something. We're going to sharpen up, man. You know, maybe I don't believe in the stuff that he, that he believes, but the fact is that he's going to outcompete me. So I better sharpen up. And other cities in the, the region started thinking, I want a mirror like that. We're, we're listening to the stories, you know. We're seeing what's happening there. We want that, so that's my point. Like you only need one. You can throw thirty balls at the goal. If you get one in, that's still a goal. So that's why I'm optimistic. Like I might have a win rate of two percent. I don't care. That's all I need.
0: <laughs> Last question. It's <clears throat> uh, a traditional question we ask everyone in this podcast you take a year sabbatical paid for. Oh, wow. You can do whatever you want. What do you do?
1: I wouldn't change a thing.
0: Good answer. <laughs> wouldn't change a thing. I was hoping that you would I would be already. like, oh, now
1: I have more budget. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. can
0: cut okay. my entire wage off what and would, hire someone so, All right, I'm giving you a bigger budget. I'm giving you an unlimited budget. What, what would you do with it? Ah, shit.
1: You know, I once joked that if I had $100 million, I'd have private cities in Brazil in, in five years
0: hundred million
1: yeah it was it was kind How, of but you it was sort of a joke because some guy was saying like oh, why don't we just buy like a huge piece of land out of some broke-ass country like Eritrea or something for like a hundred million and i was like you give me that i can like fucking do a lot more than that in brazil man it's not efficient i'm really efficient on our spending um but yeah unlimited budget dude like the the uh, the level of assault that I would unleash in in the municipal elections next next year like today I think we can get like 200 city councillors and a few mayors. like we're having some mayors coming in from other parties to to the Nova party because they're liking the idea they they're, they're doing. to we're probably gonna have like some uh, 10 to 20 mayors by the end of 2024. And we're going to elect that more. So we're going to have some, roughly speaking, 10 to 40 mayors by 2025 and some 100 to 500 city councilors, something like that. Okay. I know it's wide, but still. Dude, unlimited budget. <laughs> Go on. The chaos that I would be able to cause with that, man,
0: it's just. Beyond but go on through what channels like how where would you where would you allocate that because capital? like
1: the main problem today is um there are four main problems I guess for us to get that first of all, like you need to train the you need to train the candidates and set up their campaigns you need to have trained people to work in the campaigns and to work in the mandate I mean he got elected like that that's that's something I was talking to um to so Zema, actually, before he got elected, Zema today is a uh, governor of Minas Gerais. He might be president after the new elections. Um, and in 2018, that that comes back to something I said, uh, you only need one. Um, back in 2018, uh, there was going to be state elections. It was July 26. I had just come back from Portugal because my birthday is July 28. so I wanted to be in my birthday in my country, with my, my friends and stuff. Um so I talked to him. I, I had just come back. It was July 26. He was uh, one or two percent on the polls for governor, and we talked for like about a couple of hours because I was trying to meet him and see you know, if I'm going to support him or not. And I decided I was going to support him. I told him, "Sema, you have a, you have some like you have a, a big problem, big problem." And he was—he's a very serious guy. He got very serious. He was like, "What?" I said, "Dude, you're going to win the state and you're fucked. You're just screwed, dude." Because here's the thing. And he was like, wait, 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 why why do you think I'm going to win? I have like 2% on the polls. Because look, you're against two guys who who already were governors and both broke the state. So all that you have to do is go on the stage and say, look, there's this idiot and his friends with that corrupt idiot who is arrested and he broke the, the state. And there's this other idiot and his friends with that other corrupt guy who's also in jail and he broke the state and there's me. So, I mean, you might not know me, but you know those two fuckers. (laughs) And he won with 72% of the vote. (laughs) (laughs) It was just insane. But I was was talking to him, I was saying, like, you're going to be governor of a state of 22 million people. You're going to have some 10,000 appointed offices in between secretaries, subsecretaries, this, 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 the agency, the companies. We don't have 10,000 libertarians or, or free market people who have experience who can take on those jobs and actually perform well i mean you can nominate people who we know they're free market and they're kind of just they're going to have to figure out what to do with this this is this is a human resources problem right so coming back we need to train candidates we need to train the their teams you know, for the elections and for the the mandates when they win especially if they're of mayors you know the executive branch is a lot of people Um, we need the campaign funding, which is, yeah, it's okay. And we need the, the reach. And the the problem is like, then that's just really a money bomb. Like, um, you need to reach people with with your ideas. So everything that I do right now is organic in Instagram and YouTube. Like I don't advertise, I don't have the budget for that. If I had a huge budget for that, yeah, we would grow. Like we would, we would reach a lot more people. We would find a lot more candidates because, um, and this is weird to think there are there are probably like some a hundred or two hundred city councilors today, which would fully agree with what I say if I only had five minutes with them, but there's a city councilors in the city of like thirty thousand people in some hole in nowhere that I don't even know, and I can't reach that guy. So if I found that guy and had like ten minutes with him he would be with us. He just doesn't know. He he probably already has like the values and the ideas. He probably thinks he's like kind of a right-wing conservative sort of type of guy. And he doesn't know how to, you know, make sense of that. If he only had some more structure, he would be like, yeah, we, maybe we should privatize my city. Yeah, that would be a lot better. So... If we had the budget to reach that, to reach people, to, to do a lot more productions on that, like there are a lot of ideas I had. I wanted to do like a, a libertarian cosmos, you know, like because or libertarian free to choose, you know, like Milton Friedman did that, you, you know, free to choose. But uh, I, I always think like cosmos because I think cosmos uh, with uh, Carl Sagan and with uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson, who did the second cosmos, they're really inspiring. Like they're, they're talking about science and astrophysics and stuff. In a really inspiring way, so I I wish I could do a documentary of like I'm going to fly to ten countries who had like bursts of freedom in their history and show to you and tell you their stories like full bard style on um on, on how this meaningfully impacted people. Let me show you the before the after. Let me talk to people because that's that's like fucking mind blowing expensive, but that would be like beautiful to see because that's that's something that's not like Intellectual, intellectual argument. That's a, that's a hard argument. Like I'm, I'm showing to you what you could be, you know, the future or what you could have been. And I think that would be beautiful. Like a lot of productions could be like that.
0: It's a battle of ideas, isn't it?
1: <clears throat> Not only that, I mean, I'm also going to go on something like that. There's, there's something that uh, Rothbard used to say that it was uh, the Whig theory of history. And he said that there is the Whig theory of history versus the Kuhnian perspective on the history of thought. And uh, the Whig theory of history is basically the Whigs, the Whigs, the British do with the Whigs. And the Whig theory of history is basically everything is always getting better. So whatever ideas there are, they are better and more um, more scrutinized than the, the, the ideas before. And the, acad- the academia is always debating. And, and we know that's not true. And we're not, it's not true. So is it a battle of ideas? In a way it is. There is the debate part. Yes. But um, I remember that from Axel Kaiser from Chile. Axel Kaiser is a big libertarian guy from Chile. Uh, but the problem is that there, there weren't very many libertarian or free market activists in Chile. What happened in Chile was Pinochet did a lot of free market reforms and a lot of conservatives got really rich off of that. And and this is Axel Kaiser's explanation, by the way. Um. So he said, and those rich conservative guys, uh, they started the universities, the publishers, the radios, the TVs, and they hired a bunch of left-wing people and let them do their thing. And 30 years later, Chile is left-wing. And they're like, oh, crap, because they didn't promote the ideas, right? And what he was saying was uh, when Chile fall- fell and had those uh, huge left-wing protests and Pineda resigned, and blah, yada yada there was the whole discussion about, you know, should Chile go full left-wing? And he would go, I talked to him like personally, he said, I, I would go to TV shows, to radio shows, and I had the data on everyone. I had all the data on everyone. I- it was open and shut, coffin on everyone like uh inequality is still high but it's the decli- it's it's decreasing better than pretty much every single country in Latin America there's still poor there's still poor people but we're we're doing better like, in every single thing he had the data and in every single thing he lost he said because it was me against like 20 guys and i would give all the data and they would just reply fascist and that's it like that's the <laughs> entirety of the debate so yeah there is the part that, there is the idea part yeah but the Kuhnian way of thinking history is like, most people don't examine their ideas. They don't examine their principles or their morals. Most people don't know the difference between morals and ethics. Most people don't sit down and think, what do I think about society, civilization, and values, and why is there wealth, and why does my country suck, or not? They just kind of go with the flow, because they have better stuff to do, right? And because especially when your life is going well, you're not going to sit down and rethink reality. That's something I got from Lou Rockwell. I think um, Lou Rockwell, the founder of the Mises Institute. I don't know the story for sure, but I think he lost his brother to friendly fire. His his brother was an Air Force pilot and his brother was killed by friendly fire. And I don't know if it it was Vietnam or Korea or the Second World War. I don't know. But what he says is that that's the event which sparked him into thinking there's something wrong with society. Like, we killed my brother. Like, what? And in some country that I don't even... Why? You know? And that made him think and that makes him have this theory that people really rethink society when they have those sorts of events. I'm not wishing that that happens. I'm not saying, like, that's beautiful, then we need more. I'm saying that if you've got money in the bank and your kids are happy and your marriage is good and everything is awesome... Are you going to sit down and think, maybe the world is just all wrong? No, you're not, right? So um, so, so, circling back, like most people don't think deeply about those values, about you know, like, so how society is organized, this, this, this. they're just kind of going. So if you just stay on the intellectual debate, you're not going to get to them. If you just stay on the intellectual debate, you, you can get shouted down. You can get just accused of being like whatever, non pedophile, fascist, sexist, whatever. I don't know. You can't. So you need to fight all the battles, right? You can have the intellectual battle, but you're not going to win in theory alone. You need to show things. And that's why I love, like, love private cities, because it can show something. Because, can like, here's my idea. In, in a manifest form, you can go and walk around. And see that it's nice and that it's clearly better. And, and that's what I want to give you to your life. Like I'm not making some abstract argument after the third beer. I'm actually showing you would love to live in this place. This is what I want to, for society. right? You've got to get into the cultural debate. It, because arts are supposed, they're supposed to many things. And, and also to nothing. But one of the functions of art is to show what beauty is. Or what the goal is, of, or what you could be, right? So we need to have people on that. And The art today is like completely perverted to the left wing, to some adoration of the ugly or the stupid or the nonsensical. Like just look at their music, you know. So you you have to have that as well. You have to have the the, the presence in the schools. You have to have that in everywhere so it's not just intellectual debates everything like i said the idea of making a libertarian cosmos like i could make just a very theoretical argument for 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 the free market and just you know show all the technical arguments and all the deductions from ethics and blah 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 and make a 1200 page book that nobody's going to read like only only libertarian nerds are going to read that only people who already agree with me are going to read that book so how do I get into people who don't have a clue? And that's that's why I love like Free to Choose from Mental Friedman, which was like pocket episodes of here's a story of Hong Kong, here's a story of this country, here's a story of that country, here's a story of this invention. You're like, oh this is fun to watch, this is entertaining. And and um And I want that, you know, as a chess player, you know, the the Queen's Gambit, the series, have you watched it in Netflix? It it was a series of um, um, Elizabeth Harmon, a chess player. It was just a series and she played chess and it was super fun and it aired during COVID and it got like millions of people into chess because it just looked fun. It just looked fun and people, like there was no argument in favor of playing chess there. It was just like, Here's a challenge and she's having fun and you're stuck at home. Why not? And it came from art. You know, so just compare it just to wrap it up, I guess. Um, Ayn Rand used to say that uh, the Atlas Shrugged and the Virtue of Selfishness are the same book. The Virtue of Selfishness is a, an ethics theoretical book. on uh, It's a fully objectivist uh, theory book, um, which is just theory. And what she says is, Atlas Shrugged is the same book, but it's, but it's on a story form. Atlas Shrugged is the entire deduction of her philosophy, scene by scene. As much as it starts, the first chapter from Atlas Shrugged is the principle of non-contradiction, which is the first thing that she that she approaches in the virtue of selfishness. And which, what is funny is that like the virtue of selfishness is like 200 pages long, maybe, something like that. And Atlas Shrugged is like five thousand pages long, <laughs> and people prefer to read Atlas Shrugged, mm. and it sells by the millions because it's a story, because it's fun, because it catches catches you by the heart. So, you know, just don't, don't don't just nerd out and think that people are going to listen to your super technical arguments and your Excel spreadsheets. Most people won't, and and that's fine. That's not a diss on them. Like, but we need to have that's why I say I'm a bard. Like I, I'm not here to be a teacher. I'm not here to be the um, super technical PhD guy. I'm here to tell stories that people think that was fun to listen. And by the way, I can remember that story and tell that to everyone again, because it was a fun story. And that has convinced me. And I mean, that's, I think how I got to where i today.
0: Well, uh, thanks Raphael for your stories today. Um, it's been good. I've really enjoyed that. And, um, Good luck with the talk and good luck with spreading the word. All of that. <laughs> all of that. All of this stuff down on my sheet of paper. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's like huge. Oh, and by it's the like, way, just
1: to close, you know what the name of SETI is, SETI? Is that
0: anything to do with the, the space SETI thing? <laughs> no, no, no. no, no. Uh, it's like
1: It's S-E-T-T-E-E. It's a sail. Have you ever heard of the Latin sail? It's a, it's a triangular sail. No. It's a it's a sail that was invented. Uh, it was commonly used in the Mediterranean, and it allowed the ships to sail against the wind. But the problem is that if you if you call your company Latin, it, it's just it's just confusing, right? And I was like, oh but that, that's a that's a. But there is a, there is a different sail which is called the Seti, which is you just cut the tip of the Latin, which is like it's a triangle, but the the the, the pointy bit on the end it's not very efficient like you don't have a a lot of sail area but you have to have like a ship length to put that sail so if you just cut the length and make it more square you can have more sail area those more uh driving a ship in a smaller ship and that is the sail that's the seti sail which allows a ship to sail against the wind which is the name of the company that that helps you to you know um legally pay less taxes and find more freedom in the world so we're helping you to you know sail against the wind so
0: well, hopefully things have to have a story. It's cool. Hopefully, that, that we'll re- we'll reach a time when we don't need to sail against the wind. Yeah. we can sail with the wind. I don't know what you'll call it then. Sail. It's, it's the a square sail.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's a boring old piece of cloth. That just, sounds like you. Just stuck. go. Yeah. All,
0: all the squares we've got are on sale. It's square sail. Um, okay. We better go. Thanks, Raphael. It was great Thanks to so meet much. You. Thank you.